Okay, everyone, I think I have time to finish up one more uh, episode today before spring break starts. And again, we're continuing our discussion on leases. Last episode, we talked about uh, creating a tenancy, and now we're going to be talking about the condition of the premises. And a lot of the time, uh, this is because uh, there's a lot of poor housing uh, in the United States worldwide. Uh, but we're focusing on the United States, obviously, because we are in the United States, at least for the most part. And so this episode, we're going to focus on substandard housing, constructive eviction, and then the implied warranty of hab- habitability. Those are going to be our three main topics of this episode. Uh, standard, Substandard housing and constructive eviction will be a little quicker, and then we'll spend a little bit more time with the implied warranty of habitability. So substandard housing, well, with the industrialization of the United States, there were many poor urban areas uh, which were populated but pretty inhabitable, and that's because uh, of a lot of zoning uh, laws that had occurred as well. Uh, there's In these situations, there were a lot of mice, filth, decay, mold, uh, ultimately just general disrepair of the... Uh, homes that were in these areas. Our case that was associated with that was in Ray Clark. This was a uh, land, uh, sorry, a a landlord who uh, did not uh, end up maintaining the conditions of the premises. Eventually, he was murdered by a former tenant uh, because of how bad the situation was. Uh, there's been several issues with this because zoning laws have tried to resolve this issue, but many of these laws were ignored. Uh, and additionally, as we saw in, in Ray Clark, many landlords refused to make repairs um, because, well, they wanted as much profit as, pro- uh, as possible. Uh, the marketization of the United States didn't really resolve the issue because there were still several landlords who relied on standard forms. And these standard forms provided little or no actual remedy because you sign it, you don't negotiate. In that case, there is no market effects to benefit the issue here. So that is substandard housing. Uh, And so how can we resolve this issue of substandard housing? Well, there are two ways. You can leave through construction ev- uh, constructive eviction, or you can use the implied warranty of ha- habitability. Constructive eviction, well, there are two main ways to evict somebody. First, you can have actual eviction, or you can have constructive eviction. Actual eviction typically happens by uh, the landlord, while constructive eviction is where the uh, party, uh, the tenant leaves because of the condition of the premises, where they say, I can't live here. And as a result, you have given me the functional equivalent of an actual eviction. Uh, There's a lot of clever lawyering that worked to actually make constructive eviction uh, available. But ultimately, it's just saying these premises are so poor, I can't live here or I can't work here. And as a result, I have been evicted and can hold you liable for that. Or rather, I don't have to pay the remaining of my rent. And we have here two cases related to constructive eviction. Our first is Fidelity Mutual Life Insurance Co. versus uh, Kaminsky. 
But ultimately, uh, our big takeaway from this is that people have a covenant to quiet enjoyment. Uh, they can live on the premises. They can work. Uh, in this case, the covenant for quiet enjoyment was expressed. But a lot of the time, this covenant is implied. Uh, people can use the land without any interference from the landlord. So, traditionally, this was only breached uh, by an actual conviction where you kick somebody out so you can't use the land anymore. But constructive eviction became available if the conduct of the landlord was so egregious that their actions pretty much kicked out the tenant. So, what's the rule? Well, there are three elements of a constructive eviction. Uh, the phrase is simply wrongful conduct by the landlord that substantially interferes with the tenant's use. Our three parts are the wrongful conduct by the landlord that substantially interferes with the tenant's use. And how do you determine what is a substantial interference? No, it's just interfering with the property uh, even once a week uh, can be determined uh, to substantially interfere with the use. In this case, the wrongful conduct of the uh, landlord was not mitigating uh, or controlling the common areas against protesters uh, in this case. So that was the wrongful conduct uh, by the landlord was it was specifically the landlord's duty uh, to control those areas and uh, to provide security uh, that was lacking. And it did substantially interfere with the tenant's use because people were not able to uh, come and receive the services that were provided uh, by Dr. Kaminsky in this case. So J&B Properties Urban Co. versus uh, Pellucci uh, adds a fourth element to this, though, is that the defendant needs to leave within a reasonable time, and they need to do so by following this specific procedure. First, they need to give the landlord notice of the issue, Second, they need to allow the landlord a reasonable time to resolve the issue. Most states, that's going to be within two weeks. And third, they need to leave. And if they fail to do so within a reasonable time, well, then they can't claim that they were constructively evicted. The reason why that didn't work in this case, uh, Pellucci was not constructively evicted, was because uh, they uh, had signed a new lease, even though the issue continued and ultimately uh, left once after the, uh, the other party causing the issue had ended up leaving. Okay, so that's constructive eviction. That's one option to overcome poor housing or substandard housing conditions. The second is the implied warranty of habitability. That is, people have the right to live in a home that is habitable. While constructive eviction focuses to protect a lot of commercial, and constructive eviction can protect residential as well, most of the time people who are in residential situations use the implied warranty of habitability, and it's most likely because it's more, it's a better solution than constructive eviction is. So our cases here is Wade versus Job, Job something like that. Uh, this was a case in Utah. I'm from Utah, so it was a pretty interesting case. Person, tenant rented out uh, this home. Uh, they got there, moved in a couple days later. They realized their basement was flooding with sewage, put out the uh, light in the water heater. Ultimately, they had no running wa uh, hot running water from that. And 
uh, when the landlord came, he just pumped it onto the sidewalk, and then eventually, a couple days later, it would have an issue again. So, the traditional rule is that the tenant was responsible for all repairs under the doctrine of permissive waste, and because the rule of caveat emptor, which is translated to let the buyer beware. But in this situation, the court transitions to a more modern approach, and they do so adopting the implied warranty of habitability. It is a warranty, which means you're expected to live in certain conditions or else that warranty is going to be breached. There are policy reasons for this adoption, uh, specifically the tenant and the landlord both lack the skills necessary to make repairs, and as a result, it makes more sense to put that duty on the landlord to hire people to come and make those repairs. Additionally, there is an unequal bargaining power. The landlord has more power than the tenant does, and so it also makes more sense that the landlord should bear that responsibility. And also, there are housing codes that push for more habitable conditions as well. Okay, so that's all our background. What's the standard? How do you determine whether or not a place is not habitable? Well, the warranty of habitability requires that the landlord maintain bare living requirements and that the premises are fit for human occupation. So that's the rule, bare living requirements. A lot of the time, bare living requirements are going to include uh, running water, AC, uh, heat, uh, hot and cold water, uh, free from anything that's going to uh, avoid, uh, sorry, free from anything that's going to create uh, health and safety issues uh, such as mold or, yeah, I, I think that's a decent list. Uh, it is important to note, though, that uh, states can determine what is deemed a bare living requirement and also the kind of remedies that are available, which the remedies that we do have options are you can withhold rent from the landlord until the landlord fixes the issue, or you can repair, fix the issue, and then you can later deduct that from the rent. So say it costs you $1,000 to fix the issue. Later, you can go ahead and tell your landlord, I'm not paying you that $1,000 because it cost me that $1,000, and it's a habitability concern, so that should have come out of your pocket anyways. Third option is that you can sue for damages, and then the fourth option is obviously you can terminate the lease, and likely those two are going to go together where you terminate the lease and then you sue for the damages. Uh, important thing to note as well is that the landlords and the tenants are not allowed to waive warranties of habitability um, because if you could just waive it, it would show up in a standard form. And if it showed up in a standard form, that would be no bueno for the tenant because, well, then the tenant would have no say, which is, I mean, the obvious point is to protect against that. Okay, so condition of the premises, summing it all up. There is substandard housing, and because there is substandard housing, there is a need for remedy. Uh, zoning laws and marketization have not quite done it, and as a result, uh, parties have had to rely on constructive eviction, uh, which is done through the wrongful conduct by the landlord that substantially interferes with the tenant's use, and the defendant needs to leave within a reasonable time. 
And we have the implied warranty of hab habitability, which requires landlords to maintain bare living requirements fit for human occupation. And as a result, if that's the case, uh, tenants can either withhold rent until it's fixed, repair it, then deduct, or sue for damages. And those are our remedies, and that's how it's all going to work. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.